everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of Happiness and Humans. My name is Matt Phelan. I am your host and co-founder of a business called the Happiness Index. I am here with absolutely amazing Julie Dial. How are you, Ju Ju Julie Doyle? I need to get my words right. How are you, Julie? I'm great, thank you, Matt. All the better for being introduced as amazing. That's very kind. D Julie, please, um, please introduce yourself. Okay, well, I'm Julie Doyle. I am the Chief Executive at Longhurst Group, which is a group of housing associations in the Midlands. Um, I am also a trustee um, on the Help and Harry Trust, which I'm sure we'll come on to talk about. Yeah, and um, for all our listeners, the reason I've invited Julie on is multi multifaceted, but I found out about this trust that Julie works on and it resonated with our vision of freedom to be human so much. I asked Julie to come on and share the, the share the story um, with us. But it's not the only story about Julie. We want to know your story as well, Julie. So, um, what's what makes you happy? Um, my horses. I'm lucky enough. I've got five horses, um, three ponies, and, and two horses. I'm rubbish. They shouldn't make me happy. Um, I've only been riding since I was in my 40s for the last five six years um, and in that time i've broken ribs collapsed my lung i've broken a bone in my back um, so they shouldn't make me happy but they do being outside that makes me happy oh well that's amazing julie and what what makes someone when they're in their 40s think oh that that big thing that runs down the road that's probably very hard <laughs> what makes you think oh i'm just going to take up that 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 thing it, it wasn't really like that um, when I was a kid, I was brought up on a council estate. Um, we never had any money. Um, and there was a little riding school down the road. And yeah. if you went mucked out, um, they'd let you have a little go for free. So I always, always loved horses. But I could never yeah. afford one. Never had the time for one. Never had the money for one. When I was in my 40s, one of my daughters said to me, oh, you've always wanted to do it. Just do yeah. it. So I got one loan. I was worried that I was worried it might have all been an idea, and the reality might have been different. So I got one on loan for twelve months, um, and then uh, I bought my first one. And then since then, I think I've had one a year. Um, so yeah. <laughs> so we'll see you in a few more years. Hopefully, the husband says one in and one out, but that hasn't worked. So we're up to five now. <laughs> So Julie, I have I have to ask you. You're you, so you grew up on a council estate, and mm -hmm. now you've got this this great title of chief executive. What mm -hmm. what how did how did that happen? How have you um how how have you made that journey? Um, how have you made that happen to become a chief executive? Okay, um, uh, unconventionally is probably the short answer. Um, I was one of four girls, youngest of four girls. Granddad lived with us. Um, never had any money. It was always a bit hard, to be honest. And, and with no aspirations, nobody I knew left school and went to university. It just didn't. It was a class thing. It just didn't happen. Yeah. So despite always doing quite well at school, I left school at 16 with a handful of O-levels. Um, and by the time I was 18, I had two daughters, which now, when I look back on it, is astounding. At the time, it didn't seem that dramatic because... Most people left school, got a job in a factory, got married, had kids. I just did it a couple of years younger than my peers. So 
by the time I was 21, I was divorced with two young children and thought, oh dear. And I went back to do some A-levels at night school um, thinking, well, maybe I could get a, a job in, you know, that I could take, you know, uh, get some childcare during the school holidays. And um, <clears throat> so quite low level um, ambition, really. I just wanted to get a job and earn enough to, to be able to support ourselves. Um, but I've always been quite passionate. Um, I like to, uh, I've got a strong work ethic. <clears throat> and I think you've been work a long time. So I like to throw myself into um, and enjoy what I'm doing. Yeah. And with that attitude, it was quite, it, it's, it seemed quite easy, to be honest, with hindsight. Um, so I got a job with a local authority at the beginning, and I was lucky enough that they paid for me to do a master's, to, well, a degree first of all, and then a master's degree. Um, and I just studied and worked hard, but I loved it. And I think that's the secret, find something that you love doing. Um, and then it's just easier. Um, do you, yeah. Julie, were you, were you born with that work ethic or did you did you find it or was it just you had no choice, you had to earn the money or where does the work ethic come from in your opinion? Do you know that's such a good question. Um, I remember as a girl probably being about eight years old and I was not having any money and my mum saying to me, um, oh, you never know, we might win the pools. Yeah. And, and feeling quite angry because I thought, we're not going to win the pools. You know, <laughs> that is not going to happen. You've got to do something. So I think it came from need. I think it came from being poor, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and then it came from esteem because, you know, I went to get A levels originally to make my CV better. And then I enjoyed the the recognition, you know, the, the self self esteem grew because I I, I, I did well at those um, exams and that encouraged me to do some more. So I never set out to be a chief executive. I set out to do well at what I was doing, and yeah. one thing led to another. Um, and and I've been brave, I suppose. I've I've tried to see. I, I try and see things half full rather than half empty. So I try and seize the moment without taking ridiculous risks. Um, so I've, I've taken different roles that, you know, have, have been exciting at the time, but have progressed my career, really. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you, what, you've, what you've described your career as is almost what you need as a CEO, isn't it? Which is not to not to take ridiculous risks that bankrupt the company but you do need to seize the day which is the balance that i suppose all chief executives have would you would you agree yeah i see myself very much as an opportunist yeah um, and i and um i try and um yeah exactly what you've just said take enough risk to move forward but always have a, pl a plan b and, and julie I don't, I don't want to get too political but if you were prime minister tomorrow Prime Minister Julie, um, <laughs> if you take if you take that progression you've made, you're actually putting a lot of it down for actually not having much, which was a motivator for you. Yeah. So, would you change anything? Like look at looking back, would you would you change anything? If you were Prime Minister, would you change anything to make it easier or harder for for that young Julie, or would you keep it exactly as it is? Oh gosh, I've I've wrestled with that one as a mother, 
because clearly I'm in a stronger financial position now. So I, I wonder about how much you then support your children mm. because whether you do take away that work ethic, if you like, that, that, burn, that, that thing that you feel in your stomach that drives you on. Yeah. Um, but I'd have to say I'd make it easier. Um, I think um, there are lots of, there are other ways that you can achieve ambition and aspiration and 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 you know and most and a lot of people um you can just get ground down by it you know i was also lucky by some breaks that i've had and some people i've met along the way and some opportunities that i've been given you know it doesn't always drive people on to to get out of it 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 can just be the norm and people then can't progress people who have got fantastic ability who just get stuck. Yeah. Um, so so I'd make it easier, I'd make it fairer. Yeah. I think that, that's a great summary. And that and that, that brings me on to something um that I read on your website, which is you read marketing stuff on people's websites all the time, don't you? Like <laughs> people are always saying like what their company stands for. But I believe having met met, met you and your team, this is more than a what I'm about to read out seems to be more than uh, something that the marketing team wrote, which is improving improving lives on a day to day is is something you that you all seem to talk about. Is that how, how do you take something from a statement into actually into action? Like that because that yeah. seems to mean something to that seems to drive all of your team that I've spoken to. What, what's going on behind the scenes to turn something from a statement into action? Because it's really impressive from the outside. Well, thank you, Matt. I think it's because it was the other way around. It, it wasn't written by the marketing team. Yeah. Um, it was action that then turned into a statement. Um, so we we talked to our colleagues um, and spent a lot of time really getting under the skin of what gets you up in the morning. You know, yeah. What is it that you enjoy about the job that drives you on, that gives you the ambition what is that thing that you're feeling? Um, and, and people expressed it in different ways, but the, the, the commonality was about improving people's lives. So whether that was um, people who work in our homeless team and, and get people off the streets, whether it's people who we support people who are suffering from domestic violence um, to get into safe places, whether it's elderly people that have care services, the common thing that all of our colleagues said was, I take pride in knowing that I've made a difference, that I've improved yes. someone's life. So it was just a natural um, byproduct to, to, you know, short, sharp and snappy. Our mission statement is about improving lives. And yeah. it hopefully sums up what we do. I love it. I love it. And th this brings us on to like why we sort of, why I invited you on, which is, the happiness index vision is is freedom to be human and, and like you it could sound like a a marketing statement but to us it it, it just means that everyone should be able to be themselves and turn up to work yeah. now and and if you look at black lives matters lots of gender equality inequality stuff that's going on that if you there are certain things like you're saying you want it to be fair for everyone don't you yeah. um but there are certain things in life that that 
that can be harder based on your background or the way that you're born or whatever. Yeah. Um, and this is why I, I've asked you on to talk to us about Harry's Pledge, because um, I, when I heard about it, I was just I thought it was amazing what you're doing. So could you just explain what Harry's Pledge is? And when I first invited you on, I didn't know there was a personal connection to it either. So, um, yeah, please, please tell us what Harry's Pledge is. OK, let me backtrack a little bit then or go back a little bit in time. Yeah. Um, I've got two daughters. <clears throat> One of them is called Haley. And six years ago, um, just actually, because it's just been Harry's birthday, um, Haley had Harry. Um, and Harry sadly had strokes on both sides of his brain at some point um, during being born. And that's left him with massive um, um, health issues. Um, he is tube fed, he's registered blind, he's cognitively like a three month old, um, he has no use of his limbs and we're, he's, we're, or sadly we've been told to expect him to have a short life. Um, and clearly that was, and is, well not was, is um, the, the hardest thing um, to know that you've got a child that is so, so unwell. Um, and there was no help. Um, despite the job that I have, despite the sector and despite the people and organisations that I work with, there is nothing out there to provide any emotional support to Hayley and her husband, Andy, Harry's mum and dad, my daughter and son-in-law. Um, and it was just devastating. So they were left with a new baby to take home, Nothing that could be done and basically just get on with it. And it was so, so, so hard. Um, so something called the Help and Harry Trust was set up to um, by people in the village, actually, to support Harry and the family with providing some care and respite. Um, and as Haley's got stronger five years on, um, she's now in a position that she's set up something called Harry's Powell's. Um, and Harry's Pals aims to provide this type of support that she would have found useful when Harry was born. Yeah. So it provides counsellors for parents with critically ill children. It provides respite for parents to have a short break so that they can regroup. It provides a buddy up system. Um, and lastly, it, it campaigns so Harry's Pals campaigns for change, um, and I've been very involved with that, as you might expect. Yeah. Um, I'm connecting, therefore, the Help and Harry Trust, which I'm a trustee of, and my day job as Chief Executive of the Housing Association. It's really brought into sharp focus for me accessibility. I was always reasonably aware of accessibility. My granddad lived with us when we were a child as well, and he was in a wheelchair. So I was always a bit perhaps more aware than average Joe Soap about accessibility issues. But it really upped the ante and really made me very, very aware of accessibility issues and also the impact on carers who yeah. have to give so much of their energy and time to, to um, to the role. Um, so basically, we then, out of the campaign and arm of Harry's Pledge, Harry's Pals, we set up Harry's Pledge. 
lots of Harry's in here, so I hope you're following this stream. <laughs> <laughs> Harry's pledge is um, a pledge that we're asking people to sign up to, and it's for, to do four things. The first thing is, as an employer, to look at policies to ensure that people who work for you, who are a carer, can stay in the workplace. Yeah. Um, one in seven people will become a carer at some point in their career. That is an incredibly high number, isn't it? When I yeah. read that, that was one of the things that it's a bit of a wake up when you think that, don't you? When you think of your workforce and you think one in seven, this is, if that was anything else, you would be, that would be so much higher on the list. Yeah. And, and Carers UK say that on average, you lose 250,000 people a year because basically they can't do the caring role and um, keep on a normal contract of employment. Yeah. And given that most people who become carers are in their 40s, it's normally for mum or dad or both. They're normally late 40s. They're often at the peak of their career. It is such a waste from the employer's point of view to yeah. lose a really good person that with small adjustments, you could really... The main thing is about flexible hours. Yeah. Uh, you know, looking at the way that you can give annualized hours or weekly hours and dip but in different not your not your traditional nine to five to keep people in the in the workplace makes a massive difference so the first part of harry's pledge is about being an employer yeah. the second part is about any physical buildings that you own and given i work for housing association and most people have signed up to harry's pledge about 50 organizations are housing associations but they don't have to be but yeah. we own a lot of offices um, if you've got an office that is open to the public, we are asking people to commit to installing changing places toilets. Yeah. Um, Harry cannot go out unless we know there's a changing places toilet that is close enough, and there's lots of people like Harry. Um, and basically, it has more. Um, it has a hoist. It has a bed. It's for people that have profound disabilities. Um, yeah. And, and unless you um, know that you can get changed, you, you can't, you, you, you get housebound. Yeah. Um, the third point is about, this one is really for people who, who provide housing, because it's about making sure that houses are more accessible. Yeah. Um, and that can be through from fully accessible homes or just the small things that make a massive difference, like um, grab rails that don't look like grab rails. You don't have to have all that all that stuff that you used to see that was all white and screamed, you know, yeah. oh, a person lives here. It doesn't need to look like that anymore. Um, yeah. So have a more accessible accommodation um, for people to, to get in and out of. Um, and then finally, it's about paid carers. So... Um, We've all stood at the doorstep and clapped for carers. Well, yeah. you know, being blunt, we should be paying them more. Yeah. <laughs> Not clapping, you know, they 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 get paid a pittance and yet do a massively important job. Um, yeah. and, and as a sector, that needs to be um, um, rewarded financially more than it is. 
Wow. And I think, I mean, that the flexible bit is so fascinating, isn't it? Because if you, the, we, we have this piece of data, it's like the happiness U shape, where if you imagine a graph where people are like 18 years old and 65, they're at the highest happiness, the two endpoints of the U shape. And then the bottom bit is like when people are at that, at that 45 years old, where they might have young children and they're caring for, for elderly relatives. And, and, and when you hear what you describe there, you take something like flexible working, the, the downside of putting flexible working in, there might be limit, there might be partial downsides to it. But the upside of putting in it is massive. And you think that, that the people that are of the 45-ish age group are some of the most capable people in your workforce. And to let people, um, what was the number, Julie, you quoted us per year? 250,000 a year, according to Coach. To let a quarter of a million of our most highly qualified best people in the workforce at the right point go is it's it's a financial disaster isn't it for the economy because these people are so skilled it doesn't just on a PL money yeah. basis it doesn't make sense that, that we are letting these people out of the workforce yeah. and that's the people that are, are driven to the end point um mm. and, and and have to leave there will be many 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 more people who are struggling on that are, and if we're not looking at this from a moral point of view if you're looking at it just hard face business yeah. You'll have higher sick leave because if they've got to take someone to the hospital, they will take them. And if you're yeah. not going to let them, then they'll phone in sick. You know, you'd have yeah. to, wouldn't you? I, we all would, you know. Yeah. Um, you're going to have people less productive because they're tired. Um, you know, and and, and I think you, you, know, you mentioned the fact that um, th there are some downsides to it. One of the benefits of by the way, I can't I can't think of any downsides. I just sort of said that to sound balanced. I can't, I've never found <laughs> well, there is, there's there's it might be, you know, there are some jobs that are absolutely undoubtedly there are some jobs that this is harder mm. to accommodate. But yeah. there are many, many jobs that if you'd asked me 12 months ago, I would have thought it would there would be more downsides than in reality there has been. Because, of course, we've had to do it because of COVID. Yeah. We've had to go from an organisation where we've got 1,300 members of staff that were all based in offices overnight to be for them to be working at home, many of them homeschooling, and we've had to change the way we think about it completely. And we've had to say to people, look, you know, with the exception of a few jobs where they've got to be in at a certain time, um, but the vast majority of our jobs, we've been able to say, you contracted to do 37 hours a week. I'm not yeah. bothered when it gets done as long as it happens. Yeah. And I just think, I hope we grab the moment um, as an as a industry uh, across um, all different organisations. Because yeah. the unintended consequence of that has been that it has been really helpful to people who do have caring responsibilities. Yes. Um, it wasn't really intended for that. It was intended for people with, with who've got school responsibilities or just people yeah. having to work at home. Um, but once this is all gone, fingers crossed, and we get through COVID and we're all back to normal, I hope normal will look different yeah. um, and that people will be able to be employed on a much more agile way, more output focused, and we trust them. Yeah. Um, to do the job in the best way that's possible at the times that is better for them.
the thing that I, the thing that I never understand, Julie, about about this conversation is how, how on a scale of one to ten, how how busy would you say you are, Julie? For it's ten being busy to one being not busy as chief executive. Um, probably like every other job, it ebbs and flows. Many weeks it would be an eleven. Some weeks it might be a, a five. Yeah. On average, I'd say eight or nine. So I would say that that's that's a, that's a healthy average. I don't understand how people have the time to be micromanaging because the the the, the effort it goes through the the effort to police a really fixed workforce is is just ridiculous to me because the amount you, by just trusting people because at the end of the day if people don't do their work that's gonna that's gonna get shown up pretty quickly anyway if they were to cheat the system. Right. So I just that's the bit that blows my mind that people have the time. If I even if I had the time, I wouldn't do it because you're doing the wrong job. Yeah. You're employing people that are competent, um, able, ambitious, motivated, and and the job and your job is to make sure you 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 employing that right person and keeping them motivated and keep you know, I'm not saying you just completely work on trust and they all do everything that they want. But you don't micromanage the input. You you set very clear objectives and clear yeah. targets. And and again, I understand that some jobs are easier to do that with than others. But there are there are still mechanisms to be able to to um, measure performance. Mm. And and that's the that's the role. And that performance, you know, oftentimes if people are working outside of the more nine to five. Um, um off job um it can actually make for a happier customer because it's meeting the customer's needs too so uh, you know, we need to get over ourselves on this <laughs> and also <laughs> one thing i've seen in the data in our data at the happiness index around flexibility people always make the assumption that flexible means flexible hours now that is a big part of it but for example let's take a let's take a role let's take someone who has to be on the front door of somewhere between particular hours because that's the role and you can't move it. Flexibility can mean things like flexibility to swap the shift with someone else yeah. without having to get manager's approval. Because that, if you're a carer in that scenario, me being, if me and you were doing the same job and we could switch it over so that I could take my mother somewhere, yeah. that's also flexibility. People get a bit obsessed with the hours bit when actually people are just looking for flexibility to be able to change things up as the caring needs needs come. So I just wanted to just remind everyone of that distinction as well. Yeah, I agree. And um, Julie, last question. We've got loads of people listening and they're all, they're all now, they want to get involved, Julie. They're like, how this seems like a, I've got to get involved in this. How, what's the best, what's the best way someone can list that's listening help? Well, that would be uh, really lovely. I would encourage people, first of all, to if they um, are on Facebook, to follow the Help and Harry Trust, or on Twitter, Help and Harry Trust. Um, Google Harry's Pledge. Yeah. If that's something that you'd want to sign up to, then please do get in touch with us. Um, I suppose also a, a, a shameless plea for support um Haley harry's mom um is conducting audits of um organizations employment practices and yeah. she's talking with carers who work for those organizations 
um, encouraging discussion and debate and, and real feedback, looking at companies' policies and procedures, and in return, um, asking for a donation that goes to Harry's Pals, which supports the work of Harry's Pals. So if anybody would like an audit of how they fare as an employer and what yeah. their carers, because they might even have carers that they don't even know that they've got. I would be astounded if they 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 do know who all their carers are. Lots yeah. of carers don't like coming forward because they fear that it might mean that people might make assumptions about their commitment or their ability. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's getting under the skin of those types of things whilst also supporting Harry's pals. If they're not interested in the audit, then finally I would say if there's anybody that would be happy to make a, a, a donation, you know, even a small donation, um, the trust has been impacted heavily because of um, its fundraising abilities yeah. um, because of COVID. Um, and it's so necessary. The families that we've got, you know, parents of, of really critically ill, um, very, we link up with hospices, so it's end of life care in the main. Um, yeah. They really do need our support. So anything that can be done would be um, just amazing. Well, Julie, um, that's that's fantastic. As a, to set an example, we we will be signing up. And is it Haley who does the audit? Then she does. So yeah, we'll put the happiness index down if you could let her know and. You can't be all talk. You've got to do action sometimes. So yeah, we're, we're in. Um, and just yeah, if you could just intro me to Haley, um, and then I'll um, perhaps we'll redo this after that with Haley and someone from my team to talk about that process because I think that would be good for people because I know that we certainly do have one or two carers that I know of in our company, but I wouldn't be surprised if you say there's people that I'm not aware of. So let's let's get things moving. You're a superstar. Thank you so much, Matt. Thanks, Julie.